What's up, everybody? Welcome to another World Cup special here of the Premier League podcast on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me is Elliot Niblock and Paula Quistel. Elliot is recording from a uh, airport, an undisclosed yeah, free... airport. <laughs> no, free advertising for Boulder Beer, you know, Denver Airport. Okay, Denver Airport. Uh, don't think I've ever flown through Denver, but anyway. Oh, it's it's not a bad airport. It's kind of nice. In the connecting areas, they have a third floor. That means that a lot of birds fly in through the windows. You know, it's pleasant. I don't like it when birds make it into the airport. It's an absolutely massive airport with a lot of conspiracy theories behind it. Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, like, the death horse. The death horse is not a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. Like, the sculptor and the whole killed the sculptor. And the whole underneath the airport situation and the whole uh, the runways are laid out in a swastika formation situation. Okay. I'll have to read up more on Denver's airport there. Uh, we're going to keep breaking down what's happened here on match day one in the World Cup, starting with the games that were played on Sunday. We'll also, of course, talk about Russia, who've made their first game of match day two. But uh, rewinding back, going back in time, Sunday in Group E, we had Serbia defeating Costa Rica 1-0. Um, were you surprised that it only ended one nothing to Serbia, or were you actually thinking that Costa Rica might eke out a win in this one? Oh God! I mean, I, no. Yeah, no. I thought I, this was always <laughs> going to be a low-scoring game. Yeah. You know, it was like either a one a one nil, one nil, or one one. Yeah. I, I mean, well, here's and here's the thing. And I tweeted it out before, and somebody tried to call me out on Twitter. Uh, as Americans, and. I don't, I think Elliot's in in the middle of a side conversation. I don't know if he's listening to me, but as Americans, <laughs> I'm hearing you. Oh, okay. Because I because I want I want to know what your situation is on this. As Americans, we we very much want Costa Rica to be good, for the main reason that they spanked us twice in the past two years. They beat us, you know. They spanked us in Costa Rica. They beat us in New York. Um, they've beaten us in a friendly, I believe, in the last four years. And we've spent the last four years just hearing about the media say, well, Costa Rica made the quarterfinals. They're one of the big boys in CONCACAF. And we we went through a World Cup qualifying cycle where we considered it to be the U.S., Mexico, and Costa Rica. Those are the three big CONCACAF teams, and they whooped our ass. But it was like, okay, we got our butts kicked by Costa Rica. They're another one of the big CONCACAF teams. So for that reason, we badly want them to be good, but... The sake, the fact of the matter is, they are not. Yeah. 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 I so, mean, I, 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 I don't know. I think that the thing is that, like, I, I don't really care that much. You know, I, like, I will. The thing is that the uni, the United States, from a U.S. perspective, right? Like, we want, we want the U.S. to be a competitive team, but we're so far out from a real competitive tournament, like. Who among the three of us actually cares about the Gold Cup? Raise your verbal hand. No. Right. I, yeah. I mean, no. it, it, so, it also, whatever. It, it's it's not just that. It's, you know, like, yes, we want them to be good to feel better about ourselves. But we're also the ones that if we're sitting in a country now where the average to more than average, just, you know, the probably just the regular fan, even the knowledgeable ones, 
who watch MLS or who watch European soccer, they're probably not watching the Costa Rican team play football. So we're hearing this narrative from the media that says, oh, Costa Rica is good, which is why I think a lot of Americans think that they're good. They're not. They are built around a goalkeeper who is very good. But if you're built around a goalkeeper in soccer, odds are like you're going to concede goals because even the best goalkeepers yeah. concede a lot of goals. They, um, we, we keep talking about Joel Campbell because he lit up the last World Cup. He was a fantastic revelation in the last World Cup. Well, where is he now? Uh, I think he's still at Arsenal, but regardless... Yeah, he's no, he's, four, he's like a perennial loney from Arsenal. Right. He is four, it's four years later, and he is not getting any first-team action at his parent club in four years. So, yes, does he have the potential to uh, do what he did in the last World Cup again? Sure. He did it once. He could certainly do it again, but... He has never developed the consistency that we should actually expect him to do that. And then up front, they're led by Brian Ruiz, who's like 100 years old, but still about 200 <laughs> years younger than Rafa Marquez. Yep. And they play with a back five. They're back. They is are just not a bad on, team. At least he's also not on the U.S. Treasury's blacklist, yeah. as Rafa is. <laughs> yeah, right. that's very, and, very and true. Ultimately, ultimately, like their best players are just are they were in their prime or the tail end of their prime four years ago, and they are four years older now, and they're a little bit old. They also caught a very good break in that they got a very down Italy team, a very transitional England team that didn't know what they were doing. And kudos to them. They took full advantage of it. And then they they went to the, to the quarterfinals on penalties, and they were very close to going to the semifinals. Don't take anything away from that. You know, it, 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 it wasn't just handed to them. They got a generous situation, and they actively took advantage of it, but they're not good. No, that was also, like you said, four years ago. So uh, 2018 yeah. Costa Rica, yeah, maybe they're not so good. Uh, Alexander Kolarov with and the lone goal in this one on a free kick. also about Costa Rica, that they've played two Gold Cups since then. They haven't made a final in the Gold Cup. Like, yep. we're playing, like, yeah. Panama in the finals. Yep. No, absolutely true. The other game in Group E ended 1-1, Brazil and Switzerland. So that was a little bit of an upset. Brazil, of course, one of the pre, pre-tournament pre favorites. I thought you were going to say pre-Madonna. Oh, I'm, I mean, they are that sure, too. that too. Yeah, yeah it can be, be both. Yeah, Coutinho opened up the scoring in this one, 20th minute, beautiful goal. And beautiful. then uh, Steven Zubel headed in the equalizer in the 50th minute. So, I mean, good on the Swiss for getting a point here. And, you know, Fox Sports, of course, calling Switzerland, Sweden. But, you know, oh, well. <laughs> did they really? I mean, yes, that's, of course they did. It's one of one of many. One of many. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Fucking. I, I, mean, I mean, like, regardless of your political allegiance and whether you think Fox Sports is okay or fox news is garbage like their coverage of this world cup has been horrendous right and i'm I'm not even going to dive into the coverage right now i'm going to actually try to break down this game brazil are gonna have problems if they don't figure their their s out because they looked a lot similar to argentina and it was a lot of people uh, standing around and waiting for Neymar to do something, but also a lot of people trying to do things, but not as a team. Yeah. And yeah, so, that's yeah, I, I agree with that entirely. 
Switzerland came out, and Switzerland literally went with the same strategy that teams have been going with against Brazil since the 70s. These guys are very good with the ball at, the feet, at their feet. They love to play with the ball at their feet. They, um, they want to have that Brazilian flair for two reasons. One, that's what they're used to. Two, that's what their fans demand. And in order to stop them, all you got to do is kick them. Just foul them. <laughs> Just kick, kick them. them. And teams have been doing wrong. that. And teams have been doing that since the 70s. And that's why Brazil right now are trying to get more physical. But uh, at the same time, they can't lose their flair. But when you get physical with Brazil, that's what causes them problems. And what ca- And then Brazil was – they were their own worst enemy in this game because they were all over the place. Uh, and – now it is it's very Brazil that you play with freedom and you play all over the pitch and everything and Pele had the he could go all over the pitch but and you know 10 years ago 12 years ago Ronaldinho Kaká they had the freedom to go all over the pitch but I mean Brazil in their the late 90s the 90s the early 2000s their heyday is when they had you know Ronaldo and Rivaldo and and a striker, and they, they played directly through the striker. It was, you have your flair and everything, but then you get the ball to the to your number nine who scores goals, and he scored goals. These days, yes, Neymar is still going to have that freedom, but everybody seemed to be taking the freedom. You know who spent the entire game right at the top of the Swiss box? Marcelo, the left back. Yeah. I mean, what were you? why does your left back have that kind of freedom to roam around the pitch? And the goal that they scored was... Just your typical Coutinho goal that we've seen him do a million times. Cut in from the left side, 30 yards out, and just smash it in. And it's a beautiful strike. But in no way, shape, or form was that like, oh, wow, did you see that goal that Brazil scored? That was, did you see the goal Coutinho scored? Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. Neymar actually limped off in training today, too. So we don't really know his status for their next game. He'll play. He'll play, but he'll play. But I mean, it's it's so evident that he's not even. I wouldn't even say he's eighty percent. Yeah, well, neither was. Most I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if you could say that because at the same time, like, at, you know, at this, he played a PSG this year, which is which is a joke. You don't need your teammates' help at Barcelona and before that. It's very good, but it's also like, you know, he knows where his teammates going to go, and he knows that when I give the ball to Messi or to Suarez or to Rakitic in this situation, like they know when they get the ball from me, I am not going to be standing there by the time it gets to them. I'm going to move and they know where I'm going. Yeah. And that, that makes it a lot easier to, to play. And, it, and then you're able to put yourself in a position where your talent can shine. When you're playing with a bunch of players who are standing around going, waiting for you to do something special. And the other team is just dead set on fouling you every time. How are you going to be like, even if you're at a hundred percent, how are you going to be effective? Yeah, no, absolutely true. I mean, but and for some reason, most of the conversation was, was about his ridiculous haircut. I mean, we've, yeah, we've, we've said it plenty of times on this show. If you get haircuts and, and tattoos, you're clearly not devoted to your football and you can't possibly be a good player. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so man. yeah, if I was a Brazilian fan, I'd be upset too. Like, God, our best player got a haircut. Crap, <laughs> crap we're, we're screwed. It looks like a bowl of pasta. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't matter what it looks like. Just matter the fact that he got it. You know, yeah. that hair was growing and he cut it. Not good. Yep. The biggest upset of the day, though, 
was Mexico beating Germany 1-0 thanks to a goal by Irving Lozano in the first half. Um, great, great result for the Mexicans. And um, the I, mean, I read well a stat. Goal. Yeah, well-gotten goal. I mean, very good. I read a stat that I want to just say real quick was that when a reigning champion has lost the first game, which happened in 2010 and 2014, they didn't make it out of the group. Well, it's the last two reigning champions haven't made it out of the group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's an easier way to put that stat. Or that. But they both lost their opening, or they didn't win their opening game. So, ergo facto, Germany. Well, Germany's got problems because they seem to have forgotten what they want to do. And they seem to have forgotten who they are. And there's definitely internal turmoil, internal turmoil, which has now boiled over to the fact that Mats Hummels, after the game, called out his coach. But uh, people are going to they're gonna bark up the Leroy Sané tree all they want. Leroy Sané has 11 caps and, like, has not yeah, scored a goal for Germany. Yeah, he's not and this team has had no problems winning everything without him. Uh, they, You know, their C-team won the Confederations Cup. They won the Euros. They're, they won the Youth Euros. They made the semifinals of the of the um, of the euro of the the senior euros i don't think leroy sane is the problem i think the problem is is that they are a little bit older they try to play slow and mexico osario who i mean we need we need osario to we need mexico to fall apart now because osario needs to become the the next us manager <laughs> osario is a guy that plans out for certain games in advance. You know, he's, he said he's been planning this game for six months. He saw a weakness in Germany, and he said, we're going to exploit that. We're going to hit him on the counter because, frankly, it's no secret that Mats Hummels is slow as can be. And yeah. if Germany commit men forward, we can go the other way and hit them hard. And well, Tony Cruz... I, I think that the other thing is that they're almost too deep for their own good. and they're And, like, that kind of depth is fantastic if you are an underdog but I think that it can play into the defending champion mentality in a way that is counterproductive I mean like they they looked scared of Mexico and like Mexico pressed them and they did a great job of pressing the entire match and they like they looked like the team that was hungry and the team that wanted it the most right and uh, Tony Cro- wait, Tony Kroos also is not exactly the the fastest central midfielder. So in the back, mm-hmm. in the back, they they were able to be taken advantage of. Mexico took them advantage of, and, and as you said, like they're, Elliot, they're they're too deep for their own good because they have yeah. a bunch of all stars. And you know, last World Cup they had Miroslav Klose, who was like 39 years old at the time, give or take. Gomez five. is the new Klose. Give or take five to ten years, but yeah. all the goals, like at the end of the day, all the goals came from two places: Klose or Thomas Mueller. Like at the end of the day, that the, the team, everybody on the team did their job. Now it's like you have Ozil and you have Draxler and you have Mueller and you have Werner, and it, they just don't seem to know what they're doing. Having said that, they're still very good. Uh, they, yeah. I, I expect them to rebound if they get their internal affairs in order. I don't think their group is that good. Sorry, Seb. Um, the big, the, the credit should be on. I mean, the credit should be on Mexico, but also Mexico really should, uh, yeah. should be as happy as they are with one nil. They should not be happy with one nil because this game really should have been a lot more than that. 
Um, they hit them on the break so many times, and if only they had, uh, I mean, it was Lozano who scored the goal, but if they had a left-footed left winger, this game, they, they get three or four more goals. I mean, Lozano every single damn time got the ball on the left side and pulled it back onto his right, and almost every time Germany managed, Germany, who was backtracking, they got back because he had to pull up and get that ball onto his right foot. Um, the game very much displayed why Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, has not been able to nail down a starting spot at Real Madrid or Manchester United or Bayer Leverkusen or even West Ham because yeah. outside of the box, he is not good. And I, I did think his first touch to spring the brakes was incredible. You know, they would boot the ball right up to him and one touch, one flick, he would play Lozano into space or whoever was down on that right side, he'd play them into space. But then they'd get the ball back to him and he'd be running at somebody two on one and his passing ability was was badly exposed. They were just like, oh, he missed yeah. hit that one. It's like, yeah, he missed hit that one and he missed hit the other one and he missed hit that one. Like, he hasn't made a damn pass yet. Or yeah, he no, gets- he, he seems like the kind of player who is... He's like the ideal post off of which you play. Like he can play those one touch passes, but if you want him to run at somebody and then like play to build up, then he's never going to be the best. Right. It, it, it just seems so many times Mexico looked so dangerous on the attack until Chicharito got the ball in a shooting position and then it would all fall apart because he wasn't, he didn't shoot. No. But the, the thing about Mexico is, Osario is the kind of guy that plans for this. What you saw against Germany, you will not see against Sweden, and you will not see against South Korea. The team is going to look different in the next game. They're going to have a completely different game plan, and that's what makes Mexico even more dangerous. Yeah, this, well, was not a, this was not a, let's, let's beat Germany and then figure out the rest. They already know, and they knew three months ago what they were going to do here's how we're going to play against Germany, and then three days later, here's how we're going to play against Sweden. South Korea? Or South Korea. Yep. Whatever comes next. They South. know what they're doing. They, yep. they know exactly what, and they already know how they're going to play against Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about Sweden and their game against South Korea after these short messages, so stick around. Okay, and we're back. The other game in Group F, that was Sweden against South Korea. Sweden took a 1-0 win thanks to a goal on a penalty by their captain, Andreas Granqvist, in the 65th minute. And, Pauli, you were giving me a lot of hate for the way that Sweden played. Um, but as I told you, everything that all that counts in a tournament like this is getting the win, and they got the win. They're a disgrace. You're, you're in what way? There, you're sitting there foul. You're sitting there fouling South Korea as if you're playing Brazil. It's South Korea. You could defend all you want. I'm fine with defending, but the fact that you're just hacking them the entire game, get out of here. That's the way they play, though. That's how. And they, it's disgusting. That's how they got result look, against Italy. Look, no team. No team in. No team in the World Cup defends more than Iceland. They don't foul that much. They just defend. If you want to play the defensive game, cool. Play defensive. That doesn't mean go out there and foul everybody. Nah. I don't mind it. They got the win. That's everything. All that matters. (laughs) They got the win. They kept South Korea from getting a shot on target. Well, that, that... Okay, that is pretty remarkable. So... 
they got the win. We'll see how they do. They take on Germany next. South Korea play Mexico. And it will be very interesting how things shape up in Group F. Group if Germany finished second, they got to Brazil in the group. They face Brazil right there. Yep. And yeah. you know what will happen. That would be a tough one. But then, you know, then England will win their group, and then they'll end up on the same side of the bracket as the Germany-Brazil <laughs> game, as opposed to England finishing behind Belgium. Yeah. Yeah, Group G, that's England's group. Uh, Belgium took a 3-0 win over Panama. Goals by Lukaku times two. And then Mertens also got on the score sheet. I mean, the, the most thing that I find remarkable here was that pa Panama kept it scoreless in the first half. Good on them well, for they, doing that. I mean, they had the resilience. Sometimes it takes you a bit of time. First of all, some, every, sometimes you get a team that's small and they're fired up. They know that they're going to be defending the whole game, so they know the challenge that's ahead of them. And sometimes it just takes you a bit of time to play into the game. or And in this case, the tournament. It's the first game. And, and I mean, we see this in the Premier League all the time is – you know, a small team goes to the Etihad or they, they go to Stamford Bridge and they hold their own for 55 minutes. And, you know, finally the, that first goal comes. And once that happens, it, it's over. The doors get blown off. And once that goal came for Belgium, um, you know, when you miss a chance and you miss another chance, that works in Panama's favor because then they get frustrated. But once they, they get that goal, it was like a sigh of relief. And now you can go out and and play loose and free, and that's exactly what Belgium did, and the, yeah. and the goals came. I mean, that, that assist from Kevin De Bruyne to Lukaku was... Oh, the outside of his foot. Oh, oh God, my God. So good. Uh, he's pretty good. <laughs> oh, he's, he's pretty good. He would be even better <laughs> if Kevin he didn't play. He would, he, would, he would be even better if he didn't play for City. Uh, yeah, so perfect start for Belgium there. And I think it's important for them to get Lukaku going right away. I know Paulie has him as the Golden Boot winner, so um, good start. For yeah, him he there. needed another goal. He, yeah. We're already behind the eight ball here because he needed another goal. Also, own goal does not actually count, right? No, no, it does not. Okay, but like I needed Lukaku. I think Lukaku will do better. Was going to do better against Panama than he did against Tunisia. So not having three going into the Tunisia game, where I do think he could bag a brace. But we needed him to have five by the time he played England. Yeah. Harry Kane did have a brace against Tunisia. England won two to one. Kane scored in the 11th minute. Then Saucy tied it up on a penalty. And then Kane scored it in stoppage time to give the three Lions the win. The last minute winner that they never should have needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm, I'm torn about this, though, because I feel like. They both deserve the win at the same time. Tunisia deserved the draw. Um, they deserved they the draw they... in that because England shot themselves in the foot, but England were by far the better team. We saw okay. right, right from the get-go. Who that shoots this... themselves in the foot? England shoot themselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah, but this, we saw that this was a different England. I mean, we've been saying that, but we actually saw it. Yeah. Look at the, the way they started, the way they moved the ball so yeah. quickly. Uh, yeah, and that the players were running. The players were Although, moving. Though, how, ball, okay. was... how mad are you about Alexi Lawless using the phrase, this is the New England. The New England. The New England. Well, I mean, yeah. I didn't hear because the bar, the bar played the BBC audio rather than 
the Fox audio until the game started. But yeah, yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, I mean, I look. I, I looked, at, I looked at people and I just said, I'm surprised that Lingard and, and Ashley Young can even keep up in this team because this team plays fast and they are definitely not used to that. Like, this is yeah. the, the fact that they're not slowing down and, and everything. And maybe that's why Lingard missed a million and one chances. Yeah. Uh, possibly. Okay. Let me, let me ask both of you. Do you think that Danny Rose should start the next game? Because I think that that's obvious that he should have even started the first. Yes. Uh, I mean, Ashley Young... Played. I didn't think Ashley Young played poor. I think Danny Rose. I think Danny Rose will start the next yeah. game. I think that would have happened regardless of how this game was. I don't think Ashley Young by any means played poor enough to lose his spot. He took the corner that was their first goal. He played in a brill- like the nicest cross he played in all year or later in the first half that Jesse Lingard just flubbed. I didn't think he played poorly at all. I, I do think yeah, but also start. with less than 10 minutes left, he put the ball over in a free kick pretty poorly. And I think that to begin with, there were a number of crosses. It was like, oh, if that was a left-footed player, that ball would have been dangerous. Yeah, well, that's Ashley, that's Ashley Young for you. That's every <laughs> – yeah. that's he's made a whole career off that is, you know, constantly just – Slubbing kicks in. Now, the other question, all right, if you're going to say he should be dropped from the team because he kicked a free kick over the bar, get lost, all right? That no. happens. Okay. People no, it's not, it's not reducible the to that. Question, the better question is, England had a free kick in a dangerous area. How come the two people standing over the ball were Ashley Young and Karen Trippier? I mean, those are your wingbacks. You have Deli Ali on the field. Uh, you had Rashford on the field. The Rashford definitely should not be taking it because he skies them all over the bar or into the wall. Uh, you have Harry Kane on the field. You have plenty of people that can hit a ball, and the two guys standing over the ball are your defenders. <laughs> well, and I think this is another reason why I choose Danny Rose over Ashley Young. Is that I think Danny that- Rose shouldn't have been taking that kick either. <laughs> Well, no, no, I agree that I agree with that. But I think that Gareth Southgate has maybe a little bit too much respect for seniority. And if Danny Rose is on the field, then at least one of those players is over that ball. You know, he started either, Harry, you know, Harry he Kane, Deli Ali. First of, of all, for what I mean, what respect for authority? Ashley Young is not. Ashley Young's not a senior member. I mean, he's an older member of the England squad, but in terms, he's barely been a member of the England squad recently. Like, this is like the first run in the team that he's had since Harry Kane made his debut. Um, And if he has respect for his seniority, the guy started Harry Maguire over over Gary Cahill. No, it's not respect for seniority. That was good. That was a good good, good choice. He's he's going to rotate this. This team is going to look di- – Gary Southgate, just like Osario, has a plan for his three games. Now, Osario's plan is a bit different. It's going to be – he'll actually change the way they set up and change the way they attack. Southgate has his system, but he's loaded this pl- this team with enough interchangeable pieces that it's going to look different. I don't think Jordan Henderson's going to start the next game. Um you know, Eric Dyer is going to come in. He's going to start the next game. I think Danny Rose is going to come in and start the next game. I wouldn't be shocked if Harry Maguire doesn't start, even though I, I thought he played well. I yeah, mean, I he's, thought he he's our best center I, back. So I should, don't think, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see Fabian Delph come in instead of Deli Ali. I wouldn't be shocked to see either Rashford or Jamie Vardy starting in this game. Uh, the only player that would really shock me, there are two players that would really shock me if they started, and one is... I mean, one's definitely Danny Welbeck, and the other one, may I wouldn't, I wouldn't be floored if Trent Alexander-Arnold started, but it See, would be I, like a 
it wouldn't be like, a, oh, interesting. Because I, I disagree. did play very well. You know, he did. I agree that Trippier played very well. I have, like, no qualms about the idea of Alexander Arnold versus Trippier. I would not be I would not be at all surprised to see Danny Welbeck start this game because I think that what Gareth Southgate wants, in my view, is that he wants a strike partnership of Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy up top against Belgium. Right? And so in order to do that I don't think he, he would I don't think he would I think he, I think he plans on playing Kane in all three games. Otherwise Yeah. Well no, but like but that's what I'm saying is that you play Kane in all three games, but you want him to have a strike partnership. And who is the player with the oldest legs? Who is the player with the best pace, but the most to lose off of that pace from being fatigued? It's Jamie Vardy. If you're going to play a 4-4-2 or any formation. Well, he's not going to play a 4-4-2. It's, it's, if anything, he, but, and I don't, I don't think that's what he wants to do against Belgium. I think he goes back to Raheem Sterling. He, Graham right. Sterling okay. is the best player for England. I mean, he's the he's the linchpin here. The reason he's he the played reason, like garbage in the first half. He played like garbage. He he missed that sitter, and all of a sudden he got the hate, which is, you know, people were making jokes. And Raheem Sterling gets so much unfair hate, and I think a lot of it has to do with because he's black. You know, I think well, yeah, <laughs> that gets thrown onto him a lot. You know, they they criticize he him gets for tattoos the most and Pogba has hair, so things. it's terrible because they're black. Or the time he like went out and got breakfast, or the time that he uh, <laughs> doesn't drive a fancy car like like other footballers, even though he made, or the time that you know he got a dollar menu thing, even though he makes a ton of money, or the time that he bought his mom a house. I mean, someone posted on Twitter a couple weeks ago. It was hilarious, like the things that Raheem Sterling gets criticized for. And but unfortunately, if you mention something like, oh, Raheem Sterling misses another sitter right in front, you know, you get attacked on Twitter. It is let's let's make this clear. It is not. Yeah, Raheem Sterling is an unbelievable player and probably the most talented player that that England have. It is not unfair to say that he very much needs to improve his product in his finishing product right in front of the goal, right in front of goal, and by doing that he would become an even better player. But it would, it is not unfair to say that is a part of his game that is lacking. Yeah. Yeah, Raheem or uh, Deli Ali is questionable for their next game against Panama after Picking and up a it, it, minor thigh just, strain. Yeah, this game just goes to show you that Southgate's new plan worked because England were dominating everything. Um, yeah, right up, right up there. And they should have been up. They should have been up seven nil if Jesse Lingard yeah. finishes half his chances. Yeah, but at the, then, but at the same time, at the end of the match, I felt like they were. It was well taken, but they were a little bit lucky to get all three points. So what happened was the Kyle Walker penalty happens. And and England deflated right there. They that was it. They deflated. They were they were lucky that halftime approached right away because they needed halftime there. And they didn't really come back. Um, they didn't really come out strong. And you could tell from the you know people started talking. Do we change the strategy? Do, do, and previous England teams would have wilted. And Raheem Sterling started to. Because instead of, if you notice in the second half, Raheem Sterling started to try to do things by himself. And that's why Southgate pulled him off the field. That's why Rashford replaced Sterling, because England just needed to be patient. Their their formation was working, and it wasn't going to work if you had a player that started to break away from it. Then I tweeted something like, don't be afraid to take Harry Kane off the field, because the truth of the matter was, at the time, uh, and people... 
oh boy, did I hear it after the game when Kane scored the winner. People, uh, Harry Kane wasn't doing anything in this game. He wasn't really involved, and bringing on fresh legs like Jamie Vardy could have made a difference. You either do that if you think that's going to be your ticket to a goal, or you say, no, nah, we, like, we're waiting. Kane may not be involved right now, but if we get a set piece late in the game or anything, he's our most dangerous player. And that's a gamble that Southgate took, considering that uh, Tunisia was mauling him on every set piece. And at the end of the game, Tunisia just forgot that he existed for some reason. And boom, he made them pay. Very true. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, Gareth Southgate is... I don't agree with every decision that he's made, but overall, he's made some that I have to say, you know what, like, you've got, you've got it in you to be a good manager. doesn't mean that I still agree with the idea of the formation. Clearly, Paul, you say, like, yeah, you think it's okay. It's not it's not what I think would be the best for England, but hey, it they puts all the players in. It puts the players into the positions that they play with their clubs that make them the best. I mean, you're by what by playing this formation, you're allowing yourself to have two strikers up top, which allows Harry Kane to play up top. It allows Raheem Sterling to play centrally, which is exactly where he plays for Manchester City. It allows you to have a holding midfielder in Jordan Henderson or Eric Dyer, who, by the way, they cannot play together. It's like the old Lampard-Gerrard thing, except instead of two attacking midfielders, it's two holding midfielders midfielders. who still can't play together. It allows you to have two um, more box-to-box-ish free-range midfielders. The new term that 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 they're calling it now is the free eight in Lingard and Deli Ali, who are both good defensively and can get back defensively, but it gives them the freedom to get up. And and all the while, you know, obviously a 4-3-3 would do that too, but a 4-3-3 doesn't allow you to put those other guys centrally. So you have those two guys that can play central. It, it puts everybody into the position that they play best. And the position, not just the position that they play best, the position that they are that is most closely related to the position they're playing for their clubs. So I agree, so I agree all with used you. To it. I mean, I agree with you in that sense, but I still wonder if they aren't going to get played through the middle or beaten on set pieces for the lack of true center halves in that three in the middle. And you know what? I could be wrong. How many could be wrong. And I'm like, I'm, I'm betting on, I'm betting on England to make at least the quarters, if not the semis of this tournament. Right, wait, let if me ask you else, just like spite the goddamn press in England. It's like, oh, we're going to be terrible. Like, no. You're not. You have one of the most talented teams in years. Let me ask you a question right now. If England played a 4-2-3-1, how many center halves would they have on the field? Two. Okay. How many? When they played with Harry Maguire and John Stones and Kyle Walker in a back three, how many center halves did they have on the field? Two. Okay. So why would they be? Why? Why would there? Why would that mean that there's a lack of center halves on the field that they would get exposed on set pieces? Well, first of all, I think that Gary Cahill is actually better. As the center half, and also I think that okay, Kyle so that's Walker a personnel decision. is at his best. That's a, that's is at his best in a four, in like a back four, going wide. But you know, that, uh, Kyle Walker. These are personal preferences. Yes, Kyle Walker. That's not the position he played this year. And Karen Trippier is better at getting forward than he is. And I think that well, okay, that's 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 fine. I think that when they are forward, Trippier is better than Kyle Walker is, like in the final third. I also think that if you take the two together, then Kyle Walker is better both 
as a fullback in the defensive third, and then is also not maybe as good in the final third, but also pretty good at sending crosses in. Better than many fullbacks in the world, in the Premier League even. But then, so, but what, I mean, but then what you're doing is then you play a back four that then everything ahead of you becomes all jumbled and now you're messing with everybody else. Whereas instead you slot Walker into the exact same role he's played all season where, where with a team that was pretty darn good and it gives you the... Trippier gives you that, that added element on the outside and by the way, Trippier was fantastic game and it allows everybody else to play in a role that's suited to their skill set I mean I like we can agree to disagree on this like I think that Gareth Southgate has done a good job I I would have set it up slightly differently but you know what like he got his results that's fine I'm not sure I'm not sure that they're going to be able to be as stalwart defensively against a powerful attacking side that is, you know, a little bit more formidable than Tunisia. But I, I understand your logic. I understand his logic. I just, I think that what I've seen, the best of Kyle Walker has been in the back four. He did fine this year in his role in City. I I think that he had his best days. Oh, God, this kills me to say it, but at White Hart Lane. Yes. Yes. All right. He might have, but that doesn't mean he's not capable of playing this position. And if this position makes the team better, that's what you do. Well, but the, but this, I think this is maybe this is the linchpin in which, like you and I disagree. In that, I think I rate Gary Cahill as one of the best center backs in the world. And we've talked a lot about how you know center backs are doesn't fit the style know, the that they play. dropped off. No, I, I I think I would rather have Gary Cahill as a center half. And then Kyle, Kyle Walker as my fullback. That yeah, but I would, then you're I would switching to a back four, which ruins the rest of the team, which is built in a cohesive unit to play a certain style. They want to play with the ball at their feet, and they're really freaking good at it. I don't care. Yeah. They're going to lose against Belgium anyways. God. Okay. okay, but by then they'll nope. advance. We're moving on. And if they lose against Belgium, that's better for them, because if they finish second in the group, they avoid that Brazil-Germany game. Okay, moving on. Group H. We had some a uh, couple of upsets here today. First, Japan defeated Colombia two to one. Colombia went down ten men early in this one. Uh, only like three minutes in, Carlos Sanchez got sent off. Shinji Kagawa scored on the following penalty. Juan Quintero tied things up shortly before halftime, but then Yuya Osako scored the winner with a header with about fifteen minutes to go. Great, great results for Japan. I'm pumped. I'm stoked for them. Colombia are terrible. They can't score from open play. They don't have Hamas. They didn't have Hamas Rodriguez for most of this game, but they can't score from open play. And it's going to be an issue for Colombia. This whole tournament, everybody thought they'd run away with this group. They may not get out of the group because yeah. they cannot score from open play. Well, I had Poland and Japan going through, right? Or did I have Poland and Colombia? I don't know. I think I had Poland. I think I had Colombia and Senegal. But that was just because I, I, w I don't want to pick Poland either. Uh, because Poland, Lewandowski tends to disappear in the big tournaments after carving up the minnows of Europe in qualifying. He then disappears. And that's what happened. And Senegal are really freaking good. People are sleeping on Senegal. Japan was the team that I didn't know about because Japan are the same team that they were four years ago, just four years older. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And Senegal took a two to one win over Poland. So that group is all upside down, which is fun to see here, even though we only played one game. Uh, Cionic scored an own goal to give Senegal the lead in 37 minutes. Then Niang made it two nothing, and then Kukoviak sort of uh, scored a consolation goal with four minutes to go. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, Lewandowski not showing up in the tournament, as you said. I think he only has, what, two goals and eight? Or, well, I guess it's nine appearances now in big tournaments. So, something to look out for. Like you said, Senegal, they got a solid team here. They really do. I mean, a lot of the talk is, of course, about Sadio Mane, but they do have a lot of quality besides him. As someone is drinking... Uh, last game that we'll talk about <laughs> was Russia taking a 3-1 to win over Egypt. So Russia sitting on six points after two games. Fatih scored an own goal to give Russia the lead in the 47th minute. Then Cherichev and Zuba scored before Salah made it 3-1 on a penalty kick. So um, pretty interesting stuff there. So Russia... Pretty much through. They play Uruguay in their last game. If Uruguay defeat Saudi Arabia tomorrow, then they are through. So that's pretty exciting stuff for Russia, the home nation. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) So some stats here. This is the first time Russia has won their two opening games at a World Cup tournament for the first time since 1966 when they were the Soviet Union. And then their eight goals in the opening two games is the joint highest for a host nation level with Italy in 1934. Ooh, that's a deep cut. Yeah. So there we go. And then uh, the eight goals... Is also equal to the tally that Spain scored overall when they won in 2010. Yeah, well, that just goes to show you, you don't, you know, highest scoring team. Spain got it done with eight goals. Russia scored eight goals and they have two wins. Yes. And, you know, there's nothing to say that they may, they may not score again. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you personally think that they're not very good. They aren't. I mean... They have the statistically the easiest group ever in in the World Cup. They played a they played Saudi Arabia, who put on the worst World Cup performance I've ever seen in my life um, in that game. And then and Russia, it was three nil after ninety minutes, I think. And then Russia scored two more times in injury time. Yeah. They then played Egypt, whose entire strategy is sit behind the ball and wait for Mo Salah to to bail us out. Um, Except Mo Salah, yeah. we don't know how fit he is. So that's kind of an issue. And they did a really good job about it. And then they got the worst break ever on a on just a bad bounce, on a bad own goal where a guy took an elbow to the head that mysteriously in Russia did not get called. And, you know, and they, they, lowered, they dropped their heads for a bit. And Russia, to their credit, hit them real quick with two more goals while those heads were dropped. Um and now they're going to they're going to play Uruguay which is their first test but they haven't played anybody good yet. 
No, that game against Uruguay will be very interesting. Uruguay takes on Saudi Arabia, as we said, tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, last thing before we leave you, let's talk a little bit about the video assistant referee, the VAR system. What do you think about it so far? Great. I like I'm that. Just, I like that they're I'm, getting things right, but at the same time, it feels like the refs are like, nah, "I'm gonna let VAR handle it. I'm not gonna blow." Well, like, are they? Because my question is: is when do we go to when do we go to VAR and when do we not? You know, yeah. we went to once once you went to VAR for that really light call against uh, in the France game, which was one of those. Okay, we went to VAR, and I think once you went to VAR, they got the call right in that it was a penalty. They gave it as a penalty. But um, the fact of the matter is, had they not gone to VAR, everybody would have been like, yeah, no, they didn't need it. The ref, like, they would have been like, "That's a, the ref got that call right also. Uh, to the naked eye, yeah. he got it right. To the video, he didn't. And it was it was almost equivalent of, you know, the whole, like, you slide into second base and your, your foot comes off the bag for half a second and the tag stays on you and they call and they review it and they call you out. But once you go to it for such a light situation like that, um, like, what's the line of, of why aren't we going it when Harry Kane gets form tackled in in the box when the guy has his arms wrapped around him and it's literally an American football, he pulls him to the ground, like, very good form tackle, and you're not going to VAR on that? Or yeah. when Kyle Walker puts his hand up and his elbow meets guy's face and there's you don't go to VAR on that or the Russia goal today where the guy elbows the Egyptian in the head and he fluffs his clearance and it ends up being an own goal why like why are we going to VAR for some things and not for other things that is a very good question I mean I'm just happy that it worked out in the Sweden game because that ref was awful well, well but here the thing is that, okay I agree that the ref was awful in that game and I agree that it was a clear penalty that was that should have been called and wasn't. Yeah, and it's I mean he was, was he was he was he was awful no. on both ends. Okay, but, well, but here's here's the thing though, is that what if that VAR had been right? Because South Korea was off on a huge counterattack. Yeah, right. Like they had they had clear numbers, and if you pull that if you pull that back, and it's not the right decision, then. You know that is that's not only like that's not only a delay in the game, but like South Korea had one of the best goal scoring opportunities they did in the entire match. That was then undone by VAR, and I think that like that's like don't get me wrong. I think that VAR has helped this World Cup. I think they will continue to help this World Cup, but nonetheless, like that is an opportunity in which you say, all right, they got the decision correct. If they hadn't got the decision correct, then, mm, well, that's a, that's a demerit to VAR. And I think this is just, like, this is, this is the what I want to say is that this is an example of how VAR is on the knife edge. And that if you get it right, then everybody says, great, it should have been a penalty. It wasn't, and now it is. VAR is excellent. But if it wasn't, then you say on the, the flip side, okay, well, it should have been should just let play go and then they stop play and then they ruin the counterattack. so I, do, I don't think it's making the world cup better for the same for partially the same reason that you just said of wait like we just stopped the counterattack and now we're reviewing it and what if we don't get it right um the other reason as seb said beforehand is 
you know, the rest are kind of just letting things go. And it's like, oh, VAR could check that. Now, we don't know if that's actually true, uh, if the refs are using it as a crutch in that situation. What we do know is the refereeing has been horrible uh, in many games. And it's not just one-sided. It's both ways. They've been terrible on both sides. What we also know, what we do know is that the linesmen were told to leave the flag down on a close call and VAR can check it. Um, That, surprisingly, has not come up at all. Like, somehow we haven't had situations. like We did a a few times maybe in the Argentina game, maybe in the first three games, and maybe I'm just not paying as much attention to it now because the players have adjusted. But that is weird, and that's a crutch. But if the referees are using it, then are just saying, well, I could kind of be shitty and then – like let, let VAR overturn it, that's not good because, again, when are we going to VAR and when are we not? And so far, what we've used it for have has been pretty good and pretty clear-cut. But when you a lot of these things um, get to the point, especially when you're going to start going, at, if you're going to start using it on handballs in the box or, you know, oh, did, did, is that deemed a red card or something? A lot of it is... The referee, who is a human, um, makes a call that is based on the interpretation of the rules. And it can go either way. And then you're going to the VAR where it's still not clear-cut and the call could still go either way. So all you're doing is just adding a different level of interpretation to the rules when a lot of these calls, especially the ones in the box, are not clear-cut. And it just adds another element of, okay, it's not like we got it right, like, we didn't get it wrong the first time, but we didn't get it right either. And then when we went to VAR, we still didn't get it wrong, but we still didn't get it right. But it just adds another element. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, we'll I'm we'll see what we'll I'm think fine. about it at the end of the tournament. With that, we're going to say goodbye for this time. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Paulie's P. Quistel and Elliot is Keats was better. We'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.